Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show that I produce in Sydney, Australia, where I speak to leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. Thank you so much for joining me for episode number 156. By American author Susan Messino, the author of The Story of ACDC, Let There Be Rock. Now, Susan is not just another ACDC biographer. She actually draws on years of connection and friendship with the band, dating back to the late 70s when an unknown band by the name of ACDC landed in her hometown and as a fledgling journalist, she was sent to cover the show. Susan's book not only covers the career of ACDC, it also gives us an insight into the world of rock journalism in the crazy days of the late 70s and beyond. I had a great conversation with Susan and I know you're going to love it. Now in my formative years as a guitar player, I spent a lot of time raiding my older brother's record collection and learning ACDC songs, so I totally loved hearing all of these stories. This episode is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the Music Gear Marketplace Reverb. I am super excited about this film. The Pedal Movie features nearly 100 interviews with people like Steve Vai, Peter Frampton, Jay Maskus, Billy Corgan, and more, including some of our Guitar Speak podcast alumni like Dweezil Zappa, Sarah Lipstate, Johnny Barmer, and Brian Wampler. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit www.thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. If you're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player, Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction in the right amounts and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free seven-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. Susan Messino, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, great to have you now. Our introduction was connection through Joe Matera, the Australian great rock musician and journalist, who let me know about your your book, uh, ACDC, Let There Be Rock, the story of ACDC. So we're going to talk about that, but it sounds like you've had a pretty amazing career as a, as a rock journalist, um, which we might touch on some other uh, aspects of that work as well. Yeah, yeah, it's been a, a fun ride, and uh, I'd like to thank Joe for doing that. Joe is a great writer himself mm-hmm. and, and a great musician, as you know. Yeah. So um, I'm very happy to be here. And my my uh, anniversary this summer of starting to write rock and roll will be 44 years. Wow. This summer. <laughs> it doesn't seem possible, <laughs> but, but it's true. That's amazing. So, so what, when did you start writing and, and what was the... Um... What was the initial spark to start writing about rock? 
actually, I, I grew up in the music business. My parents were venue owners, so they always had live music. Um, and I, they had several different places. So I grew up watching musicians, you know, load in and load out and perform. And we'd get to know the, the bands and the families. And, and I, I was just a huge music fan. And as I got older, um, I wasn't a great musician. <laughs> I'll tell you that. So it wasn't uh, something I could go into that way. But I started meeting people in bands in Madison, where I lived, Madison, Wisconsin at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I met these two guys that had a local music paper. And I realized that, you know, a lot of the people that I met were, you know, roadies, agents, um, you know, lighting technicians, you know, sound guys. So I realized that I didn't have to be a musician to be part of the music business. And yeah, that's sure. when I realized, you know, maybe I could write about it. Uh-huh. And uh, so I did. I, I started writing things for the paper. And, you know, um, my first thing really was going to bars and, and reviewing bands is yep. how I started. And that was back in the summer of 1977. 77. <laughs> that's a massive year for rock music. There's so much good stuff going on. Um, I know. Uh, wow. Uh, the, the rock scene like Van Halen, of course. Um, releasing then ACDC just a few years into things exploding. Um, great stuff going on in the UK, in the punk scene, um, and all over the place. Fantastic. So what, um, where's the ACDC bug? When does that bite you? When, when do you hear them in the States? Because for <laughs> us in Australia, there's all sorts of stories in the sort of mid-70s, mid by, but by a few years in, so the later, sorry, the later stage of the seventies, of course, they're exploding in the states. So when did you first hear them? Right. Well, in seventy-seven, their um, album "Let There Be Rock" was out, mm -hmm. but was getting no airplay in the states. So I, I had never heard of them. I didn't know what their music sounded like. Uh -huh. And uh, so on Tuesday, um, August sixteenth, nineteen seventy-seven, it was actually the day Elvis died. Wow. Um, I was driving by the paper where they had a little office in Madison and I always, you know, my great intuition, I always call it the voice. <laughs> this voice said, why don't you pull over and see if you can get another assignment? Because I was the only girl at the time, mm -hmm. you know, it was all guys. And honestly, they didn't really want me to, you know, to write for them. So I was doing whatever I could to get my foot in the door. And uh, so I, pulled over and I went in the office and one of the editors had just hung up the phone. And I just asked, you know, I was just stopping by to see if maybe you had something I could do or any new assignments coming up. And he kind of said, yeah, you know, I just got off the phone with a promoter um, in Milwaukee called Stardate. They did a lot of the big shows. And um, he said they got a band coming down to the Stone Hearth, which is a local club downtown Madison. And uh, he said the promoter needs like a gopher, somebody that will run errands and, you know, just kind of help out and make sure the band is comfortable. And, you know, there's no pay, but you probably get a friend in for free. Um, and I just jumped on it. You know, I said, yeah, yeah, you know, four o'clock. Absolutely. Going to go home, change clothes. I'll be down there. And um, as I'm taking off out the door, I turn around and I'm like, well, what, what band is it? Because at that time during my high school years, I saw everybody. You know, I saw Deep Purple, The Who, you know, Cream, Black Sabbath. I mean, there was 
pretty much no one I had not seen mm-hmm. yet. And, uh, and he says, I don't know, some band out of Australia called ACDC. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. You know, I didn't think much of it. And I got, went home, changed, went down to the club at four o'clock. First thing they did is they sent me out to buy some Blue Nun wine for the singer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the band was at, at dinner, so they weren't there. But their three-man road crew was there. Mm-hmm. So I ended up um, meeting them and talking to them and really hit it off with uh, one of their roadies. His name is Barry Taylor. And, uh, you know, we, we had a, a fun chat and just hanging out. And so when the band got there, you know, and I had done the, you know, the deli platter thing, you know, and we had buckets of ice with soda and, you know, beer and things like that. And, and uh, I had read they had one page promotional flyer. That was it. And the pictures were not very um, attractive, shall we say. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> they, they looked a little sketchy to me, if you will. And um, <laughs> their, their promo said that they had started, because they'd just done the UK tour. Okay. And it said that they had started brawls from one end of England to the other. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, what did I what did I agree to do here? You know? So um, the band got there and I could hear them talking and they were, and this dressing room was above the bar in like a little loft that you went upstairs and, you know, so it was um, not very big or anything. And um, as the band was coming in the dressing room, I was walking out backwards saying, you know, soda's over there, beer's there. You got some munchies. I said, if you need mixed drinks, just come downstairs to the bar you know, we can get you whatever you need. And I'm trying to leave. And as they're coming in, this guy with dark shaggy hair tats up and down his arms. He walks right up to me and sticks his face right in my face and yells, sit. <laughs> and I just, you know, I grabbed a chair. I pulled it over. <laughs> I sat down and he went across the room. He poured two glasses of wine. He walked over, he handed me one and said, Hi, I'm Bon Scott. You must be Sue. Wow. And uh, I, I said, I looked at him and I said, how do you know my name? And and then Malcolm, who I didn't realize was Malcolm yet at the time, he just had sat down and uh, he looked at Bon and they giggled and he says, oh, the promoter told us about you. He said that you were going to do whatever we wanted. <laughs> and that's kind of how it started. It was just they were so much fun, but I still didn't know what they sounded like. So I hung out with them during the opening band set, and uh, and Angus never talked to anybody. He sat, he was so quiet, and the the promo said that he was like this little stick of dynamite, and I kept looking at him, thinking, yeah, that's you know, sure. <laughs> had no clue because <laughs> he was so quiet and uh so they got ready to to go on and I went downstairs and I got uh next to the soundboard and I was only about maybe 30 40 feet in front of the band because it wasn't that big of a club and uh they came out you know the lights went down and the rhythm section which today I still believe that Malcolm Phil and Cliff are the greatest rhythm section to ever live. Yeah, unbelievable. In, in, yeah, yeah. In my in my opinion, um, and so they launched into Livewire, uh-huh. and then the spotlight came on, and Bon was standing there in tight jeans with no shirt on, and Angus, you know, 
came, you know, hit the first chord and they just launched into the song. And I was, I didn't even know what to think. I mean, I was so shocked and I mean, in a good way, but I walked, I, I backed all the way up into the wall behind me and the hair on my arms stood straight up. And I knew at that moment that these guys were going to be huge. Wow. And I mean, huge. Uh And at that time they played, you know, live wire, TNT, whole lot of Rosie, dirty deeds, the Jack, they had all those songs already. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's how I, how I met the band. (laughs) Wow. That is amazing. (laughs) That is amazing. Yeah. I mean, by then they're, these guys are road hardened. They've like all those hits they've got, they're set together. Um, They've been, Busting out the beer barns in Australia for a couple of years, just to oh, UK. Yeah. Wow! So you, you you saw they were ready to to take on the states. What was the reaction of the crowd? And how many people were there? What what was what was this like? Well, Did they I still know the have band? The poster. Um, it was only three dollars to get in. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was about seventy five people there because nobody knew who they were. Yeah. You know, um, but the seventy five people were like right up to the front of the stage, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, just mesmerized. And when the, the show was over and the band went back up into the dressing room, every single person in the bar wanted to meet them. Uh-huh. So, so they, you know, the, the line went through and everybody, you know, they got autographs and they met everybody in the club and I waited till they were done so I could talk to the band myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, after that, uh, they kind of filed out and it got a little quieter. And I went over to Bon and I said, oh, my God, Bon. I said, you blew my socks off. And he looked at me and he goes, I did what? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, no, no. Um, that's an American slang. I'm sorry. Um, you were amazing. You guys are amazing, you know. And then they all kind of started to listen to me like, you know, what what is this? And so I told them, and I, I don't know why I said it, but this is what I said. I said, it's going to take a couple years. I said, two, maybe three years, and you guys are, are going to be internationally huge. And someday, you're going to be as big as the Rolling Stones. And they laughed so hard they were they were just hysterical over that and angus um was sitting on the couch in front of me he pulled his shoe off and stuck his foot in my face and said oh does that mean i could buy me some new socks (laughs) (laughs) and i said yeah angus i think someday you'll be able to buy yourself some new socks and that became like a running joke for the next 40 years and i would like to say that ACDC is the only band on the planet to ever co-headline a show with the Rolling Stones. Okay, there you go. So. <laughs> good call, good call. Yeah, I mean, and those guys have had a good friendship. I remember years ago, the Stones touring Australia and, and they'd get Angus and Malcolm up for for some songs yeah. and obviously enjoyed. Wow, that's a pretty, that, Susan, that's a crazy introduction to ACDC. <laughs> Most of us I, heard them on the radio first, you know, before anything else. Yeah. I, well, I saw them live, which was way better, yeah, you yeah. know, than even hearing an album or hearing them on the radio. But when I saw them live, I was like, "This!" I, I it was almost like hearing rock and roll for the first time. Uh huh. Like it was, I'd never heard it done that way before. <laughs> it's it's kind of hard to describe, but it was 
it was very unique, you know, Bond's voice. And Angus, when I saw him running around, I didn't quite understand why at first. And I thought, this is kind of strange because you don't, you don't see that. And then when he fell down and twirled around on his back, I thought he fell by accident uh-huh. the first time I saw it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so the little stick of dynamite came alive on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, he did not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens from there? Do you start? Did you review this show? Did you start writing about um, them as a band? Well, what I did actually, um, I was there just to help out, and there was another person that reviewed the show that night. Mm-hmm. But I started telling. I mean, I became like an ACDC beacon in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I, I told everybody about this band. I, I was crazy about them and then on the second leg of the um, u.s tour in december of 77 they came back to wisconsin and that was um december 4th 1977 they played in milwaukee i went and reviewed the show and then i we went upstairs to this living room there's like an apartment upstairs from the bar they played at the electric ballroom And uh, we sat down, myself and all five band members. I had my trusty little tape recorder. Uh (laughs) And um, I was sitting next to Bon, and we uh, were holding the tape recorder up between our legs. And I did like a, it it lasted about a half hour, but I call it complete mayhem. I really can't call it an interview. They were were so unruly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they they wouldn't answer anything seriously at all and it, it got to be really funny because like I was trying to be really you know I was just a kid I was trying to be like what I thought I should be so I just kept pushing with the questions and I said to Bon I said uh, so you just got back from the UK and uh, um, you know now you're back in in the states again I said what's the difference between like the British audiences and the American audiences and Bond looked at me and he goes one's British and one's American okay (laughs) yeah that was it that was his answer (laughs) so it just it went downhill after that okay that was the good answer (laughs) it was a lot of fun they they were so goofy I mean you know really goofy they were um one time uh um, and, well, Angus asked me to marry him twice mm-hmm. during the interview. And after the second time I said no, he said, fine, you're too short for me anyway. <laughs> That's saying so something was... <laughs> for how tall Angus is. Yeah. And then one time uh, Malcolm uh, decided he was going to crawl across the table at me, growling. And um, they were just they were just kids. I mean, they were just having fun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so when we left, we, we, uh, I had two friends with me and we stayed at a different hotel than they did. And, uh, Malcolm, you know, and they, uh, Angus, they're like, you know, come on back to the hotel and hang out. So, okay. So we go downstairs and we're leaving the bar and this cab pulls up with the band in it and Angus and Bon, um, threw Malcolm out, grabbed my girlfriend, Terry, threw her in the, in the cab and said, Malcolm will tell you where, where our hotel is. And they took off. So it was me and one girlfriend and Malcolm. So we get in my car and Malcolm gets behind me in the back seat and he spends the whole ride to the hotel, either covering my eyes or trying to grab the steering wheel from me. Okay. 
So very, very funny. He, I, I love those guys. I mean, they, and we just continue to stay in touch over the years and I've been lucky to stay, you know, uh, friendly with them. Mm-hmm. I've interviewed them many times over the years and I've written, you know, I've got uh, rock and roll fantasy was my first book. And that's kind of really about all the bands that I met during that time period. Yeah. But then I did the uh, ACDC FAQ book and then I have the ACDC let there be rock book. So I've, I've definitely written a lot about them. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Far out. Hey, talking about Malcolm, he's, he's on stage persona is, is quite reserved. He's up the back. Um, and yet anyone who knows what's going on knows he's, he's driving the band. And as you said, that rhythm section is unbelievably massive. Even, even in my, this podcast, I've, I've had over 150 interviews and so many guitar players will quote Angus and Malcolm, make sure they, they mention that Malcolm as a huge influence on, uh, on what they're doing. Um, so just, I guess, yeah, to back up. So Malcolm, he's the quiet guy on stage in, in Converse to Angus, but, um, from what I've read and, and heard, he was really, uh, one guy in the band who did, who also believed as you did, that they would become massive and that they could, mm. they could break through. Um, so he seemed to be the quiet guy on stage, but, but very driven, um, for the band off stage. Is, is that, is that accurate? Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. And, and I knew he was the boss the whole time. Uh huh. So, so I, I love them, but I've always had a special place in my heart for Malcolm because, you know, he, uh, I love what he used to say. He said, if you're not with us, you're against us. Uh-huh. And he, and his favorite quote when he was, when I first met him and knew him in the early days, he always said, all I want to be is filthy rich. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, yeah, he happens. ended up being pretty rich he did (laughs) but during the interview uh, when we did that first interview I asked him if they were uh doing what they set out to do and Malcolm said we set out to be Led Zeppelin and we ended up being the monkeys (laughs) (laughs) so uh, Malcolm was funny he was very chatty Mm -hmm. he actually talks more or talked more than Angus did okay yep so Malcolm and I, when we would get together, we would just, you know, talk, talk, talk about everything. And, uh, but, but I knew that he was the one that made all the decisions and he was, you know, whether they had managers, they had record executives, they had all those people, Malcolm still called the shots. I hope you are enjoying today's interview. Now, this podcast is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the music gear marketplace Reverb. Now, you know we love guitar pedals here on the Guitar Speak podcast, and we're super excited on the release of this film. The Pedal Movie explores how effects pedals and their builders have shaped modern music and guitar playing over time, from the fuzz pedal experiments of the Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix, through the shoegaze and indie rock of the 90s, and up to the modern day use of effects. Reverb also speaks with builders and leaders from more than 50 pedal brands to answer the big question, how did guitar pedals get so big? Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play and Vudu. For more info, check out thepedalmovie.com. 
Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by master guitar teacher Joe Elliott. Now I was a beta tester for the course and as a music educator myself, I was very impressed by the logical layout and format of the course. Heavyweight guitarists such as Brett Garset and Greg Koch have also endorsed the program. So check it out at www.fretboardbiology.com. Okay, back to our interview. This is interesting too, because obviously pre-internet, bands had to develop a following in, like in a regional setting. They had, they had to reinvent uh, or restart drawing a following in, in regions rather than just using, you know, rather than say an internet kind of thing these days where everyone can find mm-hmm. out about everything that's going on. So they're really carving out a niche in, in your part of the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, they... I remember Barry saying to me that the first two legs over to the States, they put on 40,000 miles on the truck. That's how much work, you know, when I, when I first wrote Let There Be Rock, I actually broke their history down a week at a time. Okay. And it took me seven years to find a break that was longer than two weeks. Wow. Wow. So they worked for it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so underneath all the goofiness, there's a pretty hardcore work ethic for sure. Yeah, well, and that's, you know, people, the, the one of the most fun things about seeing them, be, you know, I, I got to see them in 77, 78, and 79. And one of my favorite parts was watching the audience see the band mm-hmm. that had, not, had never seen them before. And the, the, the looks on the faces of the audience was completely priceless. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Especially if they're opening for some band that, that everyone's there for and then who are these guys? That's cool. That's awesome. Obviously, we get to, we get to 1980 and, and Bond passes away. That's, that's a hugely tragic thing for, obviously, those around him. Um, and for you as a friend as well, what, what, what's the impact there? Yeah, that was really hard to, it's hard to put it into words because it was so shocking, so unexpected. Um, I had seen them in Chicago, right outside Chicago in October of 79. And I didn't even go backstage and talk to the whole band. I, I was with Barry and I, I told him to give the band my, my regards because I knew they were beyond exhausted. They, they were just burnt. And I knew they were going home for the holidays. I think they still had a few dates yet. Then they were going to London to start the new album. So I was like, hey, you know, um, I don't want to, I know they're, they're really tired. So just give them my love and, you know, I'll see you when you get, come back over. And uh, so everything seemed like going as planned and they got to London And uh, I was um, actually going through, my mother was dying of cancer and she was in in the hospital and um, the doctors had let her, uh, they had given her um, a few days she could come home, which was actually the last time that she got to come home from the hospital. And I was driving up to pick her up and they were playing, I kind of blocked it out, but it's it's probably most likely they were playing Highway to Hell. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the song ended and the radio DJ said, and that's in, um, in tribute to the late Bon Scott, who was found dead today in a car in London. And 
I mean, that was, you know, it was like somebody hitting you in the face with a hammer. I mean, I just, I had to pull off the side of the road. Um, I was, you know, burst into tears. I, I found a payphone and, and called my boyfriend and I said, you know, um, turn on the TV, turn on the radio, see if you can get any kind of confirmation of this. You know, because then, you know, there was no internet or, or anything, 24-hour news, no MTV, yeah, yeah, none of that. So it was, it was horrible. I mean, it was, you know, it, it's still, I, I miss him to this day. I mean, Bon was, he was everything that you've heard he was and more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was, it was really devastating. And I know, I know the band took it really hard. Yeah. Did you expect the band to wrap things up or did you expect them to keep moving? For a while, um, I think I was in shock and I just kind of thought they were going to, you know, take a break and kind of regroup. I, I didn't think that they would completely stop because Highway to Hell had just, you know, I mean, it was skyrocketing. They were getting the airplay that they, they had worked so hard for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were thrilled with the, with the album, with Mutt Lang, with the new production of the album and how it was being received. And everybody was so excited that I, I guess I thought they would take time off, but I didn't really think that they would completely give it up because, you know, um, they went to, you know, Bond's funeral and Bond's father, you know, had a talk with Malcolm and Angus and told Malcolm, he said, you can't quit. He said, you cannot. He said, you're there. You, you've made it that far and Bond would never want you to quit. And I know, you know, I don't, I think Bond would have been, if you know, if you will, on the other side, I think he would have been extremely upset if ACDC would have called it a day. And, um, and I now, now that I've known Brian since 1980, um, I swear he's, he, he was born to take Bon Scott's place. Uh-huh. I really do. I mean, Brian is very similar to Bon in a lot of ways. Yeah. How so? So, oh, he's, he, um, like Bon, you know, Bon would party with anybody. Okay. Bon would do a gig and then he'd hang out with the roadies or, you know, whatever. And, uh, never wanted to, you know, he didn't care. You know, he just like, if you want to party, let's party. And Brian is the same way. Like he will sit and talk to anybody. Um, he constantly makes people laugh. He could, he could be a stand up comedian. I mean, he is so funny and he's so humble. I mean, there's never, and well, the whole band's like this, but there, there has never been an air around Brian Johnson of like, do you know who I am? Mm-hmm. Do you know band I play in? Never, never in a million years would he be like that. And I remember one night on the ball breaker tour backstage in Milwaukee, there was this couple talking to Brian and they were going you know, on and on about how great he was and what a great show it was and what an incredible voice he has. And he laughed and he goes, what voice? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Brian and, and Malcolm said that, too, when he auditioned for the band. Um, Malcolm said that Brian was the first person that made him laugh after Bond died. Wow. So. There you go. It was meant to be. It's a good fit. Yeah, yeah. And obviously obviously stood the test of time. Um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. sorry to, to jump around a little bit then. So then we come um, 
in recent years when when Brian's had issues and he couldn't tour, um, and again there's uh, there's calls for Angus. I guess by now, you know, Malcolm has passed away. His nephew's playing in the band. Um, there was some criticism uh, directed towards Angus. You know, you guys should finish up the band. Why is Axel Rose subbing in this band? Why don't you just wrap it up with dignity? What What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, um, I saw them uh, play Wrigley Field in Chicago in September of 2015. And they they killed it. They were amazing that night. But um, they they were shooting a DVD. And that never was released. And I have a feeling that was, you know, I thought he sounded great. Mm-hmm. But when you can hear, you know, through the monitors and everything, he Brian was having trouble hearing himself. Yeah, okay. So he's already having the hearing issues. Right. Yeah. He was already having issues. And then they flew um, up to Canada after that show. And they played in the rain a couple nights. And Brian talks about how he was already congested. I think mm. he had gotten a cold. And you know that you can't, you're not supposed to fly when you have a lot of congestion. And that's kind of what pushed it over the edge. Okay. Yep. So by the time they got to the next year on the Rocker Bus Tour, and they were, um, let's see, they, they were in Atlanta when Brian ended up being told that he, he couldn't perform, that he had to take time off. And I know that there was a mutual guitar tech that worked for ACDC and Guns N' Roses. Mm -hmm. And they were also in Atlanta when this happened. So when Brian left to take care of his hearing, one thing ACDC never does is cancel shows. Uh If they cancel, they make them up. They do not cancel shows. And that's something that Malcolm just not allowed. So the fact that that Axel and when I heard that Axel was, you know, um, the guy that was going to fill in, I was like, what? No, 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 <laughs> no. I mean, I, in my book, I called him a red redheaded riot starter. Right. OK, so <laughs> so I was very skeptical and I went to Atlanta in I think it was September 1st, 2016, Rocker Bus Tour, Axel's on vocals. And I'm, you know, I'm going there with a pretty skeptical look on it. Like, oh, okay, Axel, really? Let's see it. And uh, I did get a a kick out of the very beginning of the show. You have to be really good at staying out of Angus's way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) That is an art in itself. Yeah. And right when they started the show, Axel was going, he was moving backwards Mm -hmm. toward the drum riser just as Angus was coming up behind him. And I thought, oh, no. I mean, this is the first song. And uh, he must have caught it out of the corner of his eye because he right away he, he stopped on his heel and turned 180 and went the other way and, and missed Angus. <laughs> and I, I laughed and I thought to myself, it's not as easy as you thought it was going to be, is it? <laughs> but I, I have to say, a- Axel did an incredible job. He really did. He was he acted like a kid in a candy store. He seemed very humbled mm-hmm. by the position he was in. And he he hit every note. I mean, he knocked it out of the park and, and nothing. I'm not taking anything away from Brian, but Axel did the job. 
that needed to be done for just a few dates. Yep, yep. And that's what Malcolm would have wanted. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. I had friends on the Australian support of that tour, um, and they said just Axel nailed it, and especially some of the Bond era material, just approaching it slightly differently to to how Brian had made that stuff his own, which brilliantly had done. Um, yeah, there were, there were some good raves. I think I think the calls that oh maybe they should wrap up the band, maybe Angus should should close it down. Um, as soon as that tour got underway, a lot of those those concerns actually stopped when people actually saw it was was going on and um mm. and in really lovely news obviously um brian's back uh back in the studio and and creating creating new music with the band which is uh, a nice a nice ending to the story it would have been would have been fairly tragic if, if brian had have just wrapped it up purely on the on the medical situation at the time yes absolutely and you know after malcolm passed and uh, I saw the pictures of them at his funeral. Yeah, yeah. And this was still, people were still talking about, you know, is Angus going to go back in the studio with Axel? And, mm -hmm. you know, is Guns N' Roses going to play for him? Or, you know, all the mm -hmm. all this talk. And when I saw the looks of on their faces at Malcolm's funeral, I knew right then and there, I was like, they're going to do the new album with Angus. Mm -hmm. They are the ones, Angus needed the people that knew Malcolm almost as well as he did around yeah, yeah. him. And they didn't, they didn't fail, you know, Phil, Cliff, Brian, Stevie, they all stepped up. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so happy to hear that, you know, and, the, and power up. I mean, Oh my goodness, yeah, how yeah. great of an album that is. Absolutely. And you can hear, you can hear Malcolm's riffs everywhere. Yeah. You yeah. know, he's like all over the album. That's so it's a, cool. it's a wonderful tribute to him. Yeah, absolutely. I love that Stevie is is uh, is playing, is taking Malcolm's spot. Um, obviously, the nephew of Malcolm and, and Angus, so it's kept it in the family. He's playing Malcolm's uh, Gretsch model guitars, like he's nailing yeah. that tone. He's nailing that signature Malcolm tone, which is such a big deal, as as we spoke about oh, earlier. Yeah. So tell me about yeah. tell me about the book. So you, you spent years. I mean, obviously, from almost day dot, you've been in connection with with the band. Um, when do you decide to write the book? Obviously, there's those years of research, and what inspired the update that you've recently um, published? Well, it, uh, actually, you know, I had written two books before the Let There Be Rock book, and I literally, um, believe it or not, I never thought of writing a biography of ACDC because I figured, you know, everybody in the world's going to do that. Yeah, sure. And I went went to a book expo in 2004 in Chicago. Um, you know, it's like the, the Olympics of book, you know, authors and things in the States. And uh, I met the people from music sales group, Omnibus Press, and they were looking for someone because at the time, there hadn't been an ACDC biography since 1992. Okay. And this is 2004. So they were looking for someone to write a biography for them. And because of my first book, Rock and Roll Fantasy, which I was there to do a signing for, um, they knew who I was. And I met them just accidentally by walking around the expo. And I found out that, you know, they were actually looking for somebody to write a biography for them. And it took nine weeks to get the deal, but it came out in 06. Uh, it went into 11 languages. It did very well. And then um, especially, you know, with all the changes that the band has gone through 
uh, in the last 10 years mm -hmm. and especially um, you know Malcolm's passing I I petitioned my my uh, publishers and said I, I really think we should update this book and and bring it up to date and and what's funny is um, when I finished it I updated it at the end of um, 2019 okay and I knew there was a new album but yeah. I didn't know the songs and I didn't know the title yeah so I couldn't I couldn't put that in the book, but I did say <laughs> that once that album came out, it would break records all over the world, which it did. Yeah. So wow. I was happy about that. <laughs> Another good call from the first day you met them. You're making predictions, finishing your <laughs> latest update. You're still doing that. So I think you've got a good track record. So I'd, I'd, I'll just go with whatever you say from here on about ACDC. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is um, the Rolling Stones joke. I didn't know they, that they idolized the Rolling Stones because uh -huh. I, I didn't I didn't know them. I didn't know anything about them. And uh, so over the years, I would always ask them after every time I saw them, I'd say, now, can I say you're as big as the Rolling Stones? And uh, on the Black Ice tour. Ran that by Malcolm and Malcolm looked at Angus and they started to giggle and Malcolm <laughs> said, I don't know about that, but I know we blew them off the stage at the SARS benefit. <laughs> <laughs> and they all, they, they're laughing really hard at that. <laughs> and so when I saw Angus after the Wrigley Field gig, I, yeah. we met up at the, his hotel the next day because yeah. I had um, FAQ books for the whole band. Okay. And um, he was so cool. You know, I had my girlfriends with me and he, he, he was exhausted and he still hung out and we visited for a good half hour or so. Mm -hmm. We got pictures taken. And so right when I said goodbye, again, I said, now can I say you're as big as the Rolling Stones? And not a second pass and, and Angus says, nope. Mick and Keith said they'll always be taller than us. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> very true. <laughs> yeah, they won't. They won't take a compliment. They never will from me. Uh huh. Uh huh. They just won't. <laughs> I, think, I think that says something. Where to from here? What do you, What do you think is going to happen in the next chapter of ACDC? I'm hoping that we see a tour. Mm -hmm. um, I know that they have the stage done. You know, it was okay. done two years ago before yep. the pandemic hit for Power Up. So they have the stage ready to go. Um, it's all waiting. And uh, I'm really, you know, praying that we see something booked before the end of the year. Because it, it looks like, you know, down down where you are, you know, they've got live concerts now. And yeah, we're starting to slowly yeah. to get to that. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. And do you see Brian touring again? I hope so. I, I well, did you? He just uh, came on stage with the Foo Fighters. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the last week, and he can still sing it. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it's certainly not a matter of skill or um, desire to get up there. It's um, I guess the health is the 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 um, yeah. principal concern. So, yeah, but that that was awesome to see. That was awesome to see. So, you'd hope he'd uh, he'd be up for yeah a full ACDC show definitely. Oh yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I really do. I mean, that would be the ultimate to see them back out one more time. Yeah. Great. So Susan, the book is Let There Be Rock, the story of ACDC. Where can people find this? Um, all my books are on Amazon Yep. and also Amazon in Australia and all over the world. And uh, if you want to get a hold of me, um, just go to susanmacino.com. 
and you can email me through there. Uh, I sell signed copies also, and I can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'll, I'll add all of those links in our show notes as well, so people can can chase that up. Well, Susan, congratulations on on not only the book but uh, the opportunity to update it. And uh, like I said, we'll we'll include all those links and. Uh, yeah, encourage all the listeners to check it check it out. The book is uh, Let There Be Rock, the story of ACDC. The author is Susan Messino. Susan, thank you so much for joining me today and, and all the best. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. All right, there you go. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Now, this podcast was brought to you by The Pedal Movie, the feature-length film all about effects pedals created by Reverb. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit thepedalmovie.com. The show was also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by ex-head of guitar at GIT, Joe Elliott. Check out fretboardbiology.com for more information. Alrighty then, you have been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling, and as the legendary German rocker Michael Schenker once told me, Keep rocking, keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.